one of the reasons that skeptics and atheists and others reject the Bible and or Christian faith in particular is because they believe it condones slavery. A few years ago in, in 2012, the state of Pennsylvania passed a resolution that 2012 would be the year of the Bible. A, a couple of atheist organizations sponsored a billboard protesting the resolution. And on the billboard, they had in big print, slaves obey your masters, quoting from the Bible, Colossians 3.22. And they had a picture of an African slave with a, a really nasty, um, cruel-looking harness around his neck. And it said, brought to you, this, this lesson brought to you by the year of the Bible, by the House of Representatives. So is the Bible guilty as charged? Does it support and condone slavery? It's true that the Bible assumes that slavery exists as it talks about what is appropriate or what was appropriate and just behavior for slaves and masters in the day that was written. But the slavery of biblical times was not race-based and was not a function of kidnapping people from other countries and bringing them into your own setting that we think of due to our own history, our own horrible, um, shameful history in pre-Civil War America and Europe. It was a huge, it was a huge blind spot of ours and, and for Christians as well, many Christians. John Newton in the 1700s had worked on slave ships, and he, was, he actually captained a slave ship for a, a while until he got handed over to some slaves himself, in Africa. And God used that, among other things, to um, bring him to himself. And, and when he was converted, after he was converted and came to Christ, he wrote the song Amazing Grace, as God had delivered him from the slave trade, from being a part of the slave trade. How did people become slaves in, in biblical times, in the Roman Empire? How did that happen? Well, there were many ways that that, that took place. Some started as prisoners of war. Others um, sold themselves into slavery for economic security and to become Roman citizens. Some became slaves to pay off debt. Some were born as slaves. At least 30% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves, which amounted to about 50 to 60 million people. They worked all kinds of jobs, such as household managers, Cooks, teachers, craftsmen, they worked everywhere in private households, in mines and factories, uh, for city government and on farms. Uh, they, they worked on engineering projects such as roads, aqueducts, and buildings. And as a result, they merged easily into the population. In fact, slaves looked so similar to Roman citizens that the Senate once considered a plan to make them wear special clothing so that they could be identified at a glance. But the Senate voted it down because they feared that if slaves saw how many of them were working in Rome, they might be tempted to join forces and rebel. Even though the lives of many slaves in the Roman Empire were relatively good in that they had jobs, uh, they, they had food, they had housing. Uh, it's, many of them were treated harshly by their masters. Some were branded, whipped, or cruelly treated 
owners could kill them and not be punished. Now, for the Jews, for Israel, they had um, indentured servants, people who were economically hard-pressed, who were in debt, would um, go to work as an indentured servant or as a slave for uh, their Hebrew masters. And they had um, many uh, laws protecting slaves' rights. They could only keep them for six years. They, had to, they were supposed to free them in the seventh year if they didn't free them before that. And uh, they, they were punished if they murdered their slaves, so that was good. And uh, they had many protect, protective rights. But slaves in the Roman Empire could be freed. Roman owner, owners freed their slaves and in considerable numbers, actually. So many of them got set free. And while others uh, allowed them to buy their own freedom. So what difference did the gospel make as it, it began penetrating the Roman Empire? What difference did the gospel make for slaves? Well, um, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians 3.28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in other words, um, even though slavery still existed, slaves and freemen were one in Christ, they were united to Christ together, they were equally part of the family of God, God's household. Their identity was no longer primarily so- social status, but what was... what but was in the, that they were sons of God in Christ or united in Christ. So does the Apostle Paul approve of slavery? Does the Bible condone slavery? Well, nowhere does the Bible say that slavery is a good or acceptable thing. And it certainly didn't start out as God's plan. So it was a function of sin coming into the world for sure. Paul said explicitly in earlier in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 that enslavers those who take people captive and sell them into slavery God's law condemned that but Paul deals with slavery as something that is part of living in a fallen world he addressed it slavery's widespread norm of his times it's a really good thing that slavery in various forms has been outlawed, though it still exists in human trafficking. We even talked about that a little bit this morning. There's actually um, at least 27 million people in the world are, are being trafficked as some, some sort of slavery. So it's, it's still in the world, even though many countries have outlawed it officially. When the gospel worked its way into the hearts of people like William Wilberforce and, and John Newton, they devoted their lives to ending slavery. And when Christ's kingdom has come in full, there will be no more slavery. So it's not God's design for mankind. He will get rid of it once and for all. But society being what it was in, in Paul's day, Paul gave instructions as to how to function as Christians within the institution of slavery such as it was which was, had a lot more in common with, with being an employer-employee than it did with slavery, though for sure uh, it was people owning people. Even though slaves had the indignity of being owned by other humans, they still had the dignity of work. All lawful work is good. God designed us to work and be productive, so slaves could do this, and, and so they, they had dignity within that. Uh, and even though slavery was not God's original plan and not his ultimate plan uh, to be under the, the yoke of others, under the authority of others, uh, 
it, was, it wasn't wrong to be under other people's authority, even though God's design was not that humans would own other humans. The masters may not have always used their authority in merciful ways. Some may have been abusive with their authority. Exercising authority and being under authority are not inherently bad things. It's how we use it and how we respond to it that is good or bad. So even though not many of us here are slaves today except for Harvest staff, Principles of work and respecting authority that Paul was exhorting Timothy to teach to those in, in the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus, um, has direct application to us. Some people reject that we can apply this to ourselves because we're not slaves, but but it's it's more directly ap- applicable to us than than just the fact that they were slaves. So we're going to read from two verses in 1 Timothy as we continue our study in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And I'll ask you to stand for this, the reading of God's Word. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Father, we ask your help to understand and apply these verses to our lives today. We ask for your spirit to guard and guide all that's taught and all that's received, and may it be glorifying to you, and may it help us to understand better how to serve your cause. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. So in verse 1, it says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So to be a bondservant or to be a slave is to be under a yoke, to be under someone else's authority. Um, you are not free to choose to do your own thing. You're to do what your master tells you to do, to carry out the tasks that they've assigned. Paul says that all who are slaves regard their masters worthy of all honor. For slaves to honor their masters meant that they were to carry out their duties with excellence and complete obedience. Paul doesn't make any exceptions to that. The reason that Paul gives that slaves are to regard their masters as worthy of all honor is so that God's name and Christian teaching not be reviled, not, not, not be criticized. So slaves are, are not to respect their masters because slavery is a good thing in and of itself or because Paul approves of slavery, but it's, rather it's because there is a higher agenda than personal freedom. And that is the reputation of God and the gospel. Peter, the apostle, gives a similar instruction in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, Peter writes this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you are when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, 
This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So Peter's reasoning for submitting to even to unjust masters is similar to Paul's. When you do good and suffer for it, you are following Christ's example. And thus you are displaying to unbelieving masters what Christ did for us. A higher priority than personal comfort and being treated fairly is the advance of the gospel and and glory to God's name. So it's a higher priority. What Peter is saying is that Christians are supposed to be, be so committed to doing good and serving others that they are willing to suffer in doing it even if even as Christ did for us. Jesus is more valuable than avoiding suffering. Again, we're not we're not slaves, but as far as submitting to the authority of our employers and, and respecting them by doing what is expected of us with excellence, Paul's teaching directly applies to us. So he'd be saying to us, let all employees Regard their masters as worthy of all honor, regardless of how you feel about them. I don't know where that finds you today, and if that's an easy thing for you, a hard thing. Some of you might say, but you don't know my boss. He's a wretch. He's mean. He's unfair. Always critical. As painful and vexing as it is to work for a supervisor or boss who is hard on you, your main agenda must be glorifying God and displaying the gospel in regarding your boss with all honor. You have a higher agenda than having a pleasant boss. My first post-college job, um, first job after college graduation was as an accountant for a consumer products company. I was fairly new in my faith as a Christian, and I, I wanted to live my faith out at work, so I started a, a, a lunchtime Bible study. I, um, I, I sent Bible devotional emails to people who wanted that. Uh, I wrote Bible verses on my whiteboard. My supervisor said, quit writing Bible verses on your whiteboard. So I began writing them in Greek <laughs> so that I could only offend Greek people. I I um I wasn't doing wrong things at work. I was not goofing off. I carried out my basic responsibilities, but I was I wasn't putting my heart into my work. And I did a good job, but I wasn't doing an excellent job. So the best way I could have honored God and, and adorned his word or made his word attractive to my employers was not by displaying Bible verses, but by putting my heart into my work and doing it with excellence. It would have served a lot better. That's what Paul t- teaches in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. So Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Bondservants, or slaves, obey in everything those who are your, ma- your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. This is an amazing passage about work 
Obey your supervisors in everything understood to be ethical and and, um, lawful. Everything you can do hardly, you can do everything hardly as for the Lord. You are far more concerned about what the Lord thinks of your work than what your employer thinks. This doesn't mean you don't care at all what your employer thinks or you're not um, serving your employer. It's not, it's just the opposite. It's not an excuse like, well, I don't have to listen to my boss. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I don't have to listen to him. It's because you are accountable to God that you will serve your employer with excellence. What if you're struggling under an unfair boss or a tedious job that doesn't take advantage of all your gifts? Well, it's, it's liberating and encouraging to know that God is fully aware of where you are at any moment and that by serving the work you've been given, you are serving him. So you're, 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 the worth of your work and your faithfulness to your work is found in, in him, more so than human bosses. It's, it's not just pastors and missionaries who are serving the Lord. It's not true that if you're really godly and you really are doing the best thing you can possibly do, that you, you go into full-time Christian ministry, meaning working for a church or a missions organization. You may do that. That may be just what God has for you. But that's you serve the Lord in whatever calling he has for you. So you can work for the Lord as a retail clerk, a sanitation engineer, that's a garbage collector, as a, um, a tech support person, school teacher, auto mechanic, a banker, a barista, a beautician, a barber, a bus driver, a police officer, food servers, artists, musicians, carpenters, landscapers, electricians, plumbers, software developers, administrative assistants, and even a lawyer. All human work, Tim Keller writes this in his excellent book, Every Good Endeavor, all human work, especially excellent work, done by all people, is a channel of God's love for for his world. All human work is a channel of God's love for his world. So the biblical conception of work as as a vehicle for God's loving provision for, for the world, is that's the biblical conception of work, a vehicle for God's loving provision for the world. The best way to serve Christ and his word in your work and to show your employer God's glory and goodness is to do your work with excellence and put your heart into it. And as you see your work as God's way of loving and doing good for others, you're going to want to do that all the more. Well, this brings us to verse 2 in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. So why would those slaves who have believing masters be disrespectful to them or, or look down on them because they are brothers in Christ? Why would they do that? Well, we can only imagine the tension that could exist between Christian slaves and masters as slaves learned that they were, they were equal in Christ with their masters. They had the same relationship in Christ that they did. There could have been expectations on the part of Christian slaves that their Christian masters would give them special privileges. What if a slave was a church elder and his master was a new convert? That'd be awkward. 
unbelievers who observed households disrupted because Christian slaves were claiming special privileges because they were Christians might conclude that Christian teaching supports or encourages rebellion or poor work ethic. Why doesn't Paul teach that all Christian masters should free their slaves, at least fellow Christian slaves? The fact that Christian slaves and masters are brothers in Christ definitely transforms the relationship and could lead some could have led some to free their slaves. Some of them did. There was a slave named Onesimus, ran away from his, his owner, Philemon. Somehow Onesimus, Onesimus connected with Paul while Paul was in prison. Through Paul, Onesimus became a follower of Christ. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon so they can be reconciled. Paul doesn't demand that Philemon free Onesimus, but he asks him to receive him back as what he is now, as a brother, not just as a, not no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And he suggests that Philemon might no longer keep him as a bondservant, as a slave. Now Paul does say in one passage that if you're a slave and you can gain your freedom, go for it. You see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20 to 22. Paul says each one should remain in the condition in which he was called when he came to Christ. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So even though Paul is saying take advantage of the opportunity for freedom if you have it as a slave, he doesn't say that the most important thing for a slave who becomes a Christian is to get free. In fact, he says you might stay where you are. What is most important is that you are a free person in the Lord. You can live out your freedom in Christ even as a slave. Um, back up in Port Angeles area where I, I would do some prison ministry, some of the freest people I knew, people who are most free in Christ, were in prison. And they, they, I mean, they would have been glad to be out, but they were serving the Lord in prison. Those who are free when they are called to Jesus are Christ's slaves. And of course, Christ himself became a slave. He became a bondservant in order to redeem us taking on the form of a, of a slave, it says in, in Philippians chapter 2. Some of us, when we, became Christians th- when we become Christians, think that we need to change our circumstances. We might think, I need to get out of this job. I need uh, to be at a better place where it's easier to be a Christian or where I'm doing something more valuable to people, makes more of a, di- a difference in people's lives. We may think that, and maybe we should, but it might be that God wants you to stay right where you're at and serve the Lord just where you are even if it's a tough circumstance. Paul is more concerned about gospel faithfulness on the part of Christian masters and slaves than he is about trying to start a revolution to bring down the social institution of slavery as it was then. As the gospel progresses, lives are transformed and slavery becomes more and more unthinkable. And it's been happening, but as we already said, there's still lots of slavery in the world. So as Christians, we have the opportunity to, to, um, to live free, regardless of our circumstances, and to be um, helping those who are still entrapped in human trafficking get out of it. Paul is saying the fact that slaves and masters are brothers in Christ could cause some slaves to feel they don't owe 
humble service and diligent service to the masters. The slave could justify it by saying, we're equal in Christ. Christ is my real master, not this joker. Besides, he has to forgive me if I don't do everything he says, and and, uh, he has to be nice and gentle to me. But what does Paul say? He says, don't treat your master with less respect because he is a brother in Christ. Instead, serve him all the better since he's your beloved believer in Christ. So might we be tempted to think to not put forth excellent and diligent efforts if we work for a Christian employer? We might be tempted to do that. We might think he has to be nice to me because we're Christians. I shouldn't have to work hard for him. And he mustn't make demands of me or require me to work hard all the time. Besides, Jesus said his load is easy and his burden is light. So if our work follows Jesus' ways, our work should be easy and light, right? God designed work as a way for us to do good for others. And so we do good for all, especially for other believers. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that's what our work is for, doing good for others, and doing good for our employers as well as others we're serving. We're not just doing good in our own strength, relying upon our own capabilities. God enables us to do good, and not just a little good, but like a lot of good. So he says in in, in 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. The work you do matters forever. The work you're doing matters for eternity. As God has providentially called you to your work, listen to the testimony from heaven regarding the work of God's people in Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The deeds that will follow us to heaven are not just what we might think of as our charitable deeds, religious deeds, per se, but what we do in our work, in our callings. Every good work even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, matters forever. If it's done for his glory and for the gospel of Christ and for the good of others. Let's pray. We're going to prepare our hearts to to give to the offering as well. So ushers, be ready. Father, You've done a good work in creation, in creating us to to be workers, to have the fulfillment and the fruitfulness and significance and dignity of, of doing work that you've created for us to do. You saved us in order that we could live in the good works that you've already prepared for us to do. So we want to be good workers, workers for you in all that we do in our community, in our jobs, in our homes, and in serving the cause of your kingdom through the church as well. We thank you, Father, for the gift of work. We um, grieve over the 
ongoing slavery that still exists in the world. And we do ask that more and more gospel freedom would, would, would penetrate hearts and set people free from slavery. But we don't want to be so make an idol of freedom in such a way that we can't be good under authority. And we, we can't be good servants of yours because we're, we're living in an imperfect world and we often must work in, in hard circumstances. So we want to, be, um, to listen to what Paul and Peter have said about <clears throat> serving you and honoring you by doing excellent work even for people who are hard to work with or bosses that are difficult or jobs that are demanding and hard for us. And Father, one of the reasons you, you call us to work is so that we have to give to others who are in need. You tell us that. So not just to consume it on ourselves, but to, but to spend it on your kingdom and works of mercy and mission. And though that doesn't all happen here, Father, if we're, if we're a part of your family at Harvest Community Church, we're grateful for the opportunity to participate in the work that you're doing not the least of which is giving financially. So thank you, Father, for the gifts that church family gives to your work here. Continue to multiply these gifts for the sake of the gospel, for growing people up in Christ, for setting people free in Christ, for making Christ known among the nations and in our community. Thank you, Father, for giving us the excellent gifts that we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.